recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, Christagenia.org, and this is Christagenia Saturdays. Thank you for listening and praise Yahweh. Today is Saturday, October 13th, 2012. Last week we began a presentation on Congressman Lewis McFadden, a congressman of the 1930s from Pennsylvania, a patriot and someone who stood against the international bankers and the Jews. And while he doesn't discuss the Jews in particular in this speech that we are presenting in this series, he did very often in his career actually name the Jews as the, the, the culprits behind the international banking schemes and the Great Depression and, and many other negative elements of American society. We will get into that after we present this paper and present some of Congressman McFadden's remarks, uh, I pray. And that probably won't be until next week. This paper is lengthy. That This speech that we're reading currently, it is, um, it's quite lengthy and it's filled with technical details that this is Lewis T. McFadden's speech in the House of Representatives of June 10th, 1932. It's filled with technical details. It might seem boring in areas, but if one pays attention, it, it's actually filled with many gems. And um, the people that, 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 some of the people that had this speech posted online, because it's in several places, that they posted an accompanying quote from Henry Ford. And, and Henry Ford said, it is well enough that the people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system, for if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning. Now, now that might have been true in Henry Ford's time. Today, it seems to me that most Americans are too drunk, on, on, maybe not literally, but drunk on, on this system, drunk on their comforts, drunk on, on um, what, what they see as the benefits to this perverted, corrupt society, that they would never, that, that they could be told the whole history of the Federal Reserve and, and, and how the Jewish bankers have been stealing the wealth of every white nation for, for well, well, at least a century now, and, and they wouldn't care. I have Sword Brethren here with me again tonight, and we're going to present, um, well, we're going to continue to present this speech and, and offer our mundane commentary oh. on it. Hello, Brian. Oh, thank you for having me here. And what you were saying about most Americans not caring, I think part of it, too, they just lack even a basic understanding of economics. I've spoken with people, just, you know, middle, normal Americans, and they think that if we just print more money and give money to people, that it'll enhance their wealth because they think money is wealth, and if people have more money, they can buy more things. They don't realize that if we printed, you know, say, 20 quintillion dollars into circulation and just handed it out, prices would, you know, quadruple probably every hour, and it would continue happening until somebody collected the surplus money and burned it. So they think money is wealth. They don't understand, you know, how fiat currency works or what, what inflation is. Well, well, McFadden goes into a lot of that in, in this speech, and, and we'll see that even in the 1930s, congressmen knew that they knew that this was a scam. It, it was a scheme concocted by, by central bankers to basically steal the wealth of the nation. Mm -hmm. It's a multi-generational scam, though. So they began it back then, 
I mean, it, it really started to bear fruit probably in the 70s and then into the 80s, 90s, and right now we're reaping all the problems of this multi-generational scam. It's because the scam is collapsing. Well, they're going to get worse. Every, every pyramid scheme, every every scam has to collapse eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to begin reading, and, and um, I'm going to begin where we picked up, I'm not going to give any summary on what we've done so far. The speech is actually on online. I posted it at Christogenia with last week's podcast. It's still on the front page. The Federal Reserve note is essentially unsound. And he offers us a quote. As Kemmerer says, the Federal Reserve notes, therefore, in form, have some of the qualities of government paper money but in substance are almost a pure asset currency possessing a government guarantee against which contingency the government has made no provision whatsoever. Now, leading up to this point, and we covered it last week, McFadden was making the comparison between what he called um, one signer or one backer currency and two signature currency and the signature on the currency the person who signs it that the entity which signs it it is responsible for redeeming it and making it good what happened with the institution of the federal reserve is that the banks no longer had to back their own currency or, or their own notes, which were issued, and, and notes are, you know, private corporate notes are as good as currency. Rather, the government became the backer of the currency which the banks issued, and, and that was the major complaint, and, and that's the shell game that the Federal Reserve Banks have been playing for 100 years. He used the term two-name paper, did he not? That's a yeah, two-name, two-signatory, two-signer paper, two-name paper, one-name paper. It's the same thing. And for two-name paper, if the issuer of the instrument cannot pay the acceptance, then the accepting bank or accepting party becomes responsible for the payment. Well, right. And it's basically the United States government. It's the accepting party. So the Federal Reserve, they print money in the, in the U.S. government, or in other words, the taxpayers become bound and obligated to make good on those notes. Absolutely. Billions for the bankers, debt for the people, as I think it was Sheldon Emery that put it, right? They're printing debt for us. Now, this quote from Kemmerer, this uh, this is from Professor E.W. Kemmerer of Princeton, who was an economist, and he was an advisor to many foreign governments. He was interviewed at length in hearings by the House Ways and Means Committee in the early 1920s, and that's what McFadden is referring to here. He was interviewed about protection of the gold reserve. I have a copy of the 171-page PDF that that is the record of those interviews, which I'll post with this podcast. While, um, While McFadden wasn't a member of the House Ways and Means Committee at the time, he did have a part in the hearings and interviewed Kemmerer, for them, and and that's why he's so familiar with Kemmerer and and can quote him like this. Kemmerer was, um, he he was involved in in the economies of a lot of nations and and including a failed stabilization of Poland in the 1930s. Uh, 
Honorable E.J. Hill, a former member of the House, said, and truly, they are obligations of the government for which the United States has received nothing and for the payment of which is at any time it assumes the responsibility looking to the Federal Reserve to recoup itself. If the United States government is to redeem the Federal Reserve notes when the general public finds out what it costs to deliver this flood of paper money to the 12 Federal Reserve banks, and if the government has made no provision for redeeming them, the first element of unsoundness is not far to seek. Before the Banking and Currency Committee, when the Federal Reserve Bill was under discussion, Mr. Crozier of Cincinnati said, and, and he quotes, in other words, the imperial power of elasticity of the public currency is wielded exclusively by these central corporations owned by the banks. This is a life and death power over all local banks and all business. It can be used to create or destroy prosperity, to ward off or cause stringencies and panics by making money artificially scarce, and, and this is exactly what they did in the Great Depression, Interest rates throughout the country can be arbitrarily raised and the bank tax on all business and cost of living increased for the profit of the banks owning these regional central banks, the, the big international banks which own the regional central banks, and without the slightest benefit to the people. These 12 corporations, and he's referring to the regional central bank, the regional Federal Reserve offices. These 12 corporations together cover the whole country and monopolize and use for private gain every dollar of the public currency and all public revenue of the United States. Not a dollar can be put into circulation among the people by their government without the consent of and on terms fixed by these 12 private money trusts, the 12 regional Federal Reserve banks. That, well, the government that, has basically... Let, let me cite that, right? Let me cite that first. That statement was from Alfred Owen Crozier. He was a Cincinnati attorney who had vociferously opposed the creation of a central bank. He even drew cartoons lampooning the Rothschilds and, and circulated. Go on. I'm going to post one of those cartoons with this podcast. Go on. They've abrogated not only their right, but their obligation to handle the coining or the printing, however you want to look at it, of our money. They've given that away to a private, run-for-profit central bank, and it's absolutely unconstitutional. They don't have the authority to give away their, their obligations, do they? Well, right, and McFadden gets into that at the end of this speech to Congress, and, and he spells that out. He tells them that we have to return to the Constitution. We have to abandon this Federal Reserve system. Of, of course, it fell on deaf ears be the equivalent of essentially contracting out defense and getting rid of the army and the navy or getting rid of the post office or getting rid of the supreme court and just letting private parties and corporate cartels handle all of that well hasn't that been done already to a great extent i think so yes Halliburton and 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 blackwater and and other large corporations that that have privately contracted large obligations of our defense, you know, of our national defense, large segments of it. And certainly not for the, it's not in the best interest of the people of the nation. Absolutely not. 
and and now a lot of our our um, wartime materials are, are being manufactured in China. <laughs> what if we go to war against China? It, it's it's sick. It, it's the the Jewish world is a very sick world. It, it's it, it's not enough can be. Uh, I don't know. I'm at a loss for words thinking about it thinking about how sick it is. In defiance of this and all other warnings, the proponents of the Federal Reserve Act created the 12 private credit corporations and gave them an absolute monopoly on the currency of the United States. Not of the Federal Reserve notes alone, but of all the currency. The Federal Reserve Act providing ways by means of which the gold and general currency in the hands of the American people could be obtained by the Federal Reserve banks in exchange for Federal Reserve notes, which are not money, but merely promises to pay money. And the money doesn't actually exist anymore, right? And they don't plan on paying anyway. Since the evil day when this was done, the initial monopoly has been extended by vicious amendments to the Federal Reserve Act and by the unlawful and treasonable practices of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. Well, one of the things that um, in the document what which I cited concer- concerning Kemmerer, the quote from Kemmerer, one of the things that Kemmerer had warned Congress in 1920 was that through the Federal Reserve, we were going to have a huge negative flow of gold out of the country. And, and we see that the first thing that Franklin Roosevelt did when, when he... Um, well, one of the first things he did in, in his monetary policy when he became president was to confiscate all the gold, right? Mm-hmm. Mr. Chairman, now, now this is Lewis McFadden speaking, and, and he makes a, a, a lot of um, analogies right here. Mr. Chairman, when a Chinese merchant sells human hair to a Paris wig maker and bills him in dollars, the Federal Reserve Banks can buy his bill against the wig maker and then use that bill as collateral for the Federal Reserve notes. The United States government thus pays the Chinese merchant the debt of the wig maker and gets nothing in return except a shady title to the Chinese hair. Mr. Chairman, if a Scottish distiller wishes to send a cargo of Scotch whiskey to the United States, he can draw his bill against the purchasing bootlegger in dollars. This was written during Prohibition, right? And after the bootlegger has accepted it by writing his name across the face of it, the Scotch distiller can send that bill to the nefarious open discount market in New York City, where the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks will buy it and use it as collateral for a new issue of Federal Reserve notes. Thus, the government of the United States pays the Scotch distiller for the whiskey before it's shipped, and if it is lost on the way or if the Coast Guard seizes it and destroys it, the Federal Reserve Bank simply write off the loss, and the government never recovers the money that was paid to the Scotch distiller. While we are attempting to enforce prohibition here, the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks are financing the distillery business in Europe and paying bootleggers' bills with the public credit of the United States government. Mr. Chairman, if a German brewer ships beer to this country or anywhere else in the world and draws his bill for it in dollars, the Federal Reserve Banks will buy that bill and use it as collateral for Federal Reserve notes. Thus, they compel our government to pay the German brewer for his beer. Why should the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks be permitted 
to finance the brewing industry in Germany, either in this way or as they do by compelling small and fearful United States banks to take stock in the Eisenbeck Brewery and in the German bank for brewing industries. Mr. Chairman, if Dynamic Noble of Germany wishes to sell dynamite to Japan to use in Manchuria or elsewhere, it can draw its bill against the Japanese customers in dollars and send that bill to the nefarious open discount market in New York City, where the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks will buy it and use it as collateral for a new issue of Federal Reserve notes, while at the same time the Federal Reserve Board will be helping Dynamic Noble by stuffing its stock into the United States banking system. Why should we send our representatives to the disarmament conference at Geneva while the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks are making our government pay Japanese debts to German munition makers? Mr. Chairman, if a bean grower of Chile wishes to raise a crop of beans and sell them to a Japanese customer, he can draw a bill against his prospective Japanese customer in dollars and have it purchased by the Federal Reserve Board and Federal Reserve Banks and get the money out of this country at the expense of the American people before he has even planted a bean in the ground. Mr. Chairman, if a German in Germany wishes to export goods to South America or anywhere else, he can draw his bill against his customer and send it to the United States and get the money out of this country before he even ships or even manufactures the goods. Remember that Lewis McFadden was a banker and he understands how the international markets work, right? And, and, and how the open discount market in New York City works for securities. Mr. Chairman, why should the currency of the United States be issued on the strength of Chinese human hair? Why should it be issued on the trade winds of a wig maker? Why should it be issued on the strength of German beer? Why should it be issued on a crop of unplanted beans to be grown in Chile for Japanese consumption? Why should the government of the United States be compelled to issue many billions of dollars every year to pay the debts of one foreigner to another foreigner? Well, that's been going on for 100 years. Was it for this that our national bank depositors had their money taken out of our banks and shipped abroad? Was it for this that they had to lose it? Why should the public credit of the United States government and likewise money belonging to our national bank depositors be used to support foreign brewers, narcotic drug vendors, whiskey distillers, wig makers, human hair merchants, Chilean bean growers, and the like? Well, well, probably because they're all Jews, right? Why should our national bank depositors and our government be forced to finance the munition factories of Germany and Soviet Russia? Mr. Chairman, if a German in Germany wishes to sell wheelbarrows to another German, he can draw a bill in dollars and get the money out of the Federal Reserve Banks before an American farmer could explain his request for a loan to move his crop to market. In Germany, when credit instruments are being given, the creditors say, see you, it must be of a kind that I can cash at the reserve. Other foreigners feel the same way. The reserve to which these gentry refer is our reserve, which, as you know, is entirely made up of money belonging to the American bank depositors. I think foreigners should cash their own trade paper and not send it over here to bankers who use it to fish cash out of the pockets of the American people. 
Mr. Chairman, there is nothing like the Federal Reserve pool of confiscated bank deposits in the world. It is a public trough of American wealth in which foreigners claim rights equal to or greater than those of the Americans. The Federal Reserve banks are agents of the foreign central banks. They use our bank depositors' money for the benefit of their foreign principles. They barter the public credit of the United States government and hire it out to foreigners at a profit to themselves. All this is done at the expense of the United States government and at a sickening loss to the American people. Only our great wealth enabled us to stand the drain of it as long as we did. Well, well some here we are right now, and we can no longer stand. Well, well right. It's, it's getting more and more... Um, it, 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 it's getting more and more evident that it can't stand, right? Well, in McFadden's time, they actually had to print the money. Today, they can just enter it electronically, put a one, throw up a bunch of zeros, and put it in some account for some Zionist somewhere. Well, well, quantitative easing one, quantitative easing two, quantitative easing three. That's why, that, that, that's why oil went from $16 a barrel to, to 100 and what? I, I don't know what it is right now, but it's high, right? So if the Israelis want to buy a couple hundred more jet fighters, they just have some American Jew banker create an account and set it all up electronically, and then we're in debt now for however many billions they need. Well, well, right, especially during this Obama administration. They, they, they've actually sent – I know it's in excess of $30 trillion overseas in, in so-called bailout money to foreign banks. Why are we bailing out foreign banks? Because Louis McFadden was right, it, because our Federal Reserve banks are actually owned and controlled by foreign banks. I believe that the nations of the world would have settled down after the World War more peacefully if we had not had this standing temptation here. This pool of our bank depositors' money given to private interests and used by them in connection with illimitable drafts upon the public credit of the United States government. The Federal Reserve Board, uh, imagine if McFadden was alive today to see quantitative easing one and quantitative easing two and, and, and the bailouts. The Federal Reserve Board invited the world to come in and to carry away cash, credit, goods, and everything else of value that was movable. Values amounting to many billions of dollars have been taken out of this country by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks for the benefit of their foreign principles. Now, now that's only in the first 20 years of Federal Reserve operation, right? The United States has been ransacked and pillaged, if you can only see us now. Our structures have been gutted. And only the walls are left standing. While this crime was being perpetrated, everything in the world could rake up everything the world could rake up to sell us was brought here at our own expense by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks until our markets were swamped with unneeded and unwanted imported goods priced far above their value and made to equal the dollar volume of our honest exports and to kill or reduce our favorable balance of trade. Is this 1933 or 2012? Well, 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 yeah, right. It could describe any decade since 1933, right? And it's kept happening, and it's still happening. And ongoing right now, except there's no patriot in Congress to raise the alarm about it. It was the goods that the manufacturing industries had produced. Now it's the manufacturing industries itself, themselves, right? Now, now they actually take the factories and fold them up and, and cart them overseas. And, and they've literally done that, right? Factories that we built, that our people built through their own sweat, through their own creative talent, 
that the Chinamen could never have built in a thousand years, and yet we ship them all of our machine tools. Exactly. As agents of the foreign central banks, the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks try by every means within their power to reduce our favorable balance of trade. They act for their foreign principles, and they accept fees from foreigners for acting against the best interests of the United States. Naturally, there has been great competition among foreigners for the favors of the Federal Reserve Board. What we need to do is send the reserves out of our national banks, home to the people who earned and produced them, who still own them, and to the banks which were compelled to surrender them to predatory interests. We need to destroy the Federal Reserve pool wherein our national bank reserves are impounded for the benefit of the foreigners. We need to make it very difficult for outlanders to draw money away from us. We need to save America for Americans. Now, now this, is, that this is the difference between a real patriot and, and a shill, right? And a lot of people are going to hate me for this, but Ron Paul is a damn shill. He doesn't really understand how the Federal Reserve has looted and pillaged the country. He's just running on, on this swelling of grassroots popularity because he wants to audit the Federal Reserve. How the hell do you audit the people that make the rules? How do you audit the people that basically own the currency? They own it. They can print as much of it as they want. You can't audit them. They probably haven't even kept the records. Well, that'd be like asking Enron or asking Al Capone, hey, if you've cooked the books, can you let us see the real books? Where are your ledgers? You're, you're, it's like asking a criminal cartel to be open, forthright, and honest. Well, well right. You can't audit the Fed. That's ridiculous. That, that's just, that, that's just to, to, um, what words designed to gain so, some public backing and, and some momentum that might get them somewhere – and I think he's a shill, and I think he's only he only exists to convince the gullible American public that perhaps that perhaps there is some hope in the voting booth. There's no damn hope in the voting booth. And he's more or less hijacked the patriot movement with his capitalism. You cannot at the voting booth. You you cannot outdo the people that actually print the money. You can't do it. There's no hope. There's no political solution to these problems. Ron Paul is a shill. Audit the Fed, my ass. It's never going to happen. They have to be rounded up and thrown in prison. And I'll leave it at that. Well, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that he said that we have nothing to fear from globalism and it can work to our advantages. And he, he basically doesn't believe in any sort of immigration enforcement or borders enforcement. So he really, he really doesn't believe in America for Americans. And I'm sure if you pressed him, he would say that anyone can be an American. Well, well libertarianism itself is, is only the, the, the um, is only a Talmudic mirage, right? Libertarianism is basically Jewish. It's a it, it's a prick, is what it is. Moral relativism and situational ethics. Absolutely. Well, which is Jewish heaven. Mr. Chairman, when you hold a $10 Federal Reserve note in your hand and you are holding a piece of paper, which sooner or later is going to cost the United States government $10 in gold, unless the government is obliged to give up the gold standard, it is protected by a reserve of 40% or $4 in gold. It is based on Limburger cheese, reputed to be in foreign warehouses, or on cans purported to contain peas, but which may contain salt water instead, or on horse meat, illicit drugs, 
bootleggers' fancies, rags and bones from Soviet Russia, of which the United States imported over a million dollars worth last year. On wines, whiskey, natural gas, on goat or dog fur, garlic on a string, or Bombay ducks. If you like to have, in, in other words, he, he's taking a stab at, at all the securities, that were the worthless securities that have been purchased at this time by the Federal Reserve in, in exchange for these debt notes, right? If you like to have paper money, which is secured by such commodities, you have it in the Federal Reserve note. If you desire to obtain the thing of value upon which this paper currency is based, that is, the Limburger cheese, the whiskey, the illicit drugs, or any of the other staples, you will have a very hard time finding them. Many of these worshipful commodities are in foreign countries. Are you going to Germany to inspect your warehouses to see if the specified things of value were there? I think not. And what is more, I do not think you would find them there if you did go. Immense sums belonging to our national bank depositors have been given to Germany on no collateral security whatsoever. The Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks have issued United States currency on mere finance drafts drawn by Germans. Billion, well, well, they're probably German Jews, right? Billions upon billions of our money has been pumped into Germany, and money is still being pumped into Germany by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. Her worthless paper is being, still being negotiated here and renewed here on the public credit of the United States government and at the expense of the American people. On April 27, 1932, the Federal Reserve outfit sent $750,000 belonging to American bank depositors in gold to Germany. A week later, it probably disappeared by 1945, right? A week later, another 300000 in gold was shipped to Germany in the same way. About the middle of May, $12 million in gold was shipped to Germany by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. Almost every week, there is a shipment of gold to Germany. These shipments are not made for profit on the exchange since the German marks are below parity with the dollar. And that's exactly what Kemmerer had warned. And I'm going to post the PDF of, of these House Ways and Means Committee hearings in 1920. That's exactly what Kemmerer had warned the House of Representatives in 1920, that the Federal Reserve Bank would cause a huge outflow of gold from America to foreign nations. Mr. Chairman, I believe that the National Bank depositors of the United States are entitled to know what the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks are doing with their money. <laughs> well, they're buying up everything in America, right? There are millions of National Bank depositors in this country who do not know that a percentage of every dollar they deposit in a member bank of the Federal Reserve System goes automatically to American agents at the foreign banks and that all their deposits can be paid away to foreigners without their knowledge or consent by the crooked machinery of the Federal Reserve Act and the questionable practices of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. Mr. Chairman, the American people should be told the truth by their servants in office. Well, well, their servants are actually serving the Federal Reserve banks, right? Well, I have to wonder, Bill. Most Americans, what, what, what do they think banks are? I mean, when you know historically they they put their money on deposit with a bank that had no insurance, and for that matter, it shouldn't. They were, I mean, what were they expecting? They 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 don't watch the bank. They don't ask the bank, how are you investing my money? How are you lending it out? 
and then suddenly the money's gone because the bank is fractional reserve and only maintains 10% reserves during the run of the bank, and most people are wiped out. Why would you put your money with a bank if you, if you don't know what their reserve policies are? I mean, you're better off keeping it in a mattress or in a safe in your house, aren't you? Yeah, you know, I haven't minutely tracked the history of banking in America, but I'm sure that many banks with reserve policies have broken them or, or misused or abused the money anyway. I mean, Or just change their policy without notifying their customers. The, the bottom line is why put your money in a bank? Why trust your money to somebody who makes gains from usury? Well, why, you know, somebody that, you know, a Christian should not accept usury at all. And the entire system, the entire usury-based currency system is evil. So, so let's get right to the root of the problem, right? Why trust your money to, to a, a, um, an institution that makes money from, from a criminal enterprise? Stop trying to profit through evil. Well, well, exactly. A real Christian sh shouldn't have anything to do with the usury-based currency system. What we're stuck in, in this Babylonian world system. I understand that. We're stuck in it until it falls. That, that's just part of our punishment, right? But we shouldn't like it. We shouldn't embrace it. That, that's worshiping the beast, right? Absolutely. And I believe we discussed, you know, maybe a year or so ago, the idea that in a typical European village in the Middle Ages, there would only be so many gold coins or silver coins, so the Jew would come by, entice someone to buy things on credit, taking out a loan, getting someone to buy crap they didn't need, and extolling the virtues of buying all the crap. And then this person would now owe more money than the village as a whole would have, so the village would wind up bailing the person out, and the entire village would be ruined by one single Jew who brought usury into the equation. Because usury... There's only a certain amount of money in circulation or a certain amount of wealth if we consider, you know, silver and gold. So if someone loans you more gold than you have, you now have no way to pay him back. And that's what he's counting on because then he controls you. He owns you. You become a debt slave. Well, if you look at it on a small scale and, and it works on any scale, if you have a monopoly right to print money and loan it at usury, and there's 10 people in the community and you're printing all the money that they used to exchange and, and you're loaning it at usury. And then when they want to deposit that money, it ends up with you again for, for safekeeping. And, and you just keep loaning out more like a pyramid scheme. And you're loaning this money out that you created from thin air and, and you're for every dollar you put in circulation, you're automatically demanding more than a dollar back because you have to get your usury. Well, well the, the, the bottom line is this. It is absolutely inevitable and unavoidable that you are going to end up owning all the property in the community. There's no doubt. Well, they owe, me, they owe me more than there's enough money in circulation to cover, so eventually I'm going to have their property, their estates. When the Federal Reserve Act was signed, Congress was actually signing a guarantee that the Jew bankers of, of London would end up owning all the property in America. They signed away our entire country. Well, well right, because that's okay. the inevitable outcome. It's inevitable. I mean, it's on such a great scale that, that it happens over an extremely long period of time, and it's very invisible to the average person. But it's the inevitable outcome. And what you said, if people have to come to me to get the money they need to conduct commerce and barter, 
I've basically stepped in as an uninterested, previously uninvolved third party that has no role in the process. I forced myself on the barter process. I'm imposing myself on the barter process, interfering with the natural process of exchange and barter, and I'm basically detrimenting the people so I can line my own pockets at their expense by making them use my notes to conduct business. Isn't that essentially what it is? It's a, it's a criminal conspiracy. Well, well, it's absolute. The Federal Reserve Act is absolutely a criminal. That the whole world central banking system is a criminal conspiracy. That there's no doubt. That there's absolutely no doubt. That the Jews really foisted a good one on on, on the sheep this time. <laughs> In 1930, we had over half a billion dollars outstanding daily to finance foreign goods stored in our ship, stored in or shipped between countries. I'm sorry, and its yearly total. This item amounts to several billion dollars. What goods are those on which the Federal Reserve Banks yearly pledge several billion dollars of the public credit of the United States? What goods are those which are hidden in European and Asiatic storehouses and which have never been seen by any officer of this government, but which are being financed on the public credit of the United States government? What goods are those upon which the United States government is being obligated by the Federal Reserve Banks to issue Federal Reserve notes to the extent of several billions of dollars a year. The Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks have been international bankers from the beginning, with the United States government as their enforced banker and supplier of currency. But it is nonetheless extraordinary to see those 12 private credit monopolies buying the debts of foreigners against foreigners in all parts of the world and asking the government of the United States for new issues of Federal Reserve notes in exchange for them. I see no reason why the American taxpayers should be hewers of wood and drawers of water for the European and Asiatic customers of the Federal Reserve banks. I see no reason why a worthless acceptance drawn by a foreign swindler as a means of getting gold out of this country should receive the lowest and choicest rate from the Federal Reserve Board and be treated as a better security than the note of an American farmer living on American land. The magnitude of the acceptance racket as it has been developed by the Federal Reserve Banks, their foreign correspondents, and the predatory European-born bankers who set up the Federal Reserve Institution here and taught our own brand of pirates how to loot the people. I say the magnitude of this racket is estimated to be in the neighborhood of $9 billion a year. In the past 10 years, it is said to have amounted to $90 billion. In my opinion, it has amounted to several times as much. Coupled with this, you have, to the extent of billions of dollars, the gambling in the United States securities which takes place in the same open discount market, a gambling upon which the Federal Reserve Board is now spending $100 million per week. And that well, that's nothing. You know, in 2008, they spent, on the derivatives market, hedge fund gambling, $570 trillion, which I believe was 10 times the entire world's gross, domestic, you know, gross product. And it's all just electronic funny money. And with Jews practically um, having a grip on the entire system and every aspect of it, I wonder who's benefiting. I wonder who's benefiting from all that loose credit. 
you've heard of um, Gary Allen. He wrote a book, None Dare Call It Conspiracy. I, I have it posted somewhere, I believe. On the he he um, wrote in the book, when the Federal Reserve System was foisted on an unsuspecting American public, there were absolute guarantees that there would be no more boom and bust economic cycles. The men who behind the scenes were pushing the central bank concept for the international bankers faithfully promised that then on there would be only steady growth and perpetual prosperity. However, Congressman Charles A. Lindbergh Sr. accurately proclaimed, from now on, depressions will be scientifically created. Well, that's exactly what happened. I, I mean, A. Ralph Epperson and the Unseen Hand, it, it's, uh, I cite this book a lot because it's the first book that I really read that explained it all in simple terms that, that a layman could understand, right? He, he in, in the opening chapters of that book, he, he showed exactly, and, and with citations and, and, you know, giving his sources where he got his information, he showed exactly how the money supply throughout the 1920s was inflated purposely, and then the rug was pulled out from under it. And I believe we're going to see some of that in this paper, in, in this paper also. But the rug was pulled out from under it. The money supply was choked off, credit was choked off, and everybody that accumulated all this wealth on basically gambling on, on debt, that they, they lost it to the Jewish bankers. And one more Lindbergh quote. This is from Lindbergh Sr. This Federal Reserve Act establishes the most gigantic trust on earth. When the president, Woodrow Wilson, signs this bill, the invisible, invisible government of the money, monetary power will be legalized. The worst legislative crime of the ages is perpetrated by this banking and currency bill. Okay. No they hated the entire Lindbergh family. Well, well absolutely. Back to Lewis McFadden. Federal Reserve notes are taken from the United States government in unlimited quantities. Is it, is it strange that the burden of supplying these immense sums of money to the gambling fraternity has at last proved too heavy for the American people to endure? Well, well guess what? <laughs> Would it not be a national calamity if the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Bank should again bind this burden down on the backs of the American people and by means of the long rawhide whips of the credit masters compel them to another 17 years of slavery? And, and so far we've been under about another 80 years of that slavery or 90 years of that slavery, right? 80, I'm sorry. They are trying to do that now. They are taking $100 million of the public credit of the United States government every week in addition to all of their other seizures, and they are spending that money in the nefarious open market in New York City in a desperate gamble to reestablish their graft as a going concern. They are putting the United States government in debt to the extent of $100 million a week, and with the money, they are buying up our government securities for themselves and their foreign principles, and they're still doing that today. Our people are disgusted with the experiments of the Federal Reserve Board. The Federal Reserve Board is not producing a loaf of bread, a yard of cloth, a bushel of corn, or a pile of cordwood by its check-kiting operations in the money market. A fortnight or so ago, great aid and comfort was given to Japan by the firm of A. Gurley & Sons, Gurley, G-E-R-L-I, of New York, an importing firm which bought $16 million worth of raw silk from the Japanese government. 
Federal Reserve notes will be issued to pay that amount to the Japanese government, and these notes will be secured by money belonging to our national bank depositors. Why should United States currency be issued on this debt? Why should United States currency be issued to pay the debt of Gurley and Sons to the Japanese government? The Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks think more of the silkworms of Japan than they do of American citizens. We do not need $16 million worth of silk in this country at the present time, not even to furnish work to dyers and finishers. We need to wear homegrown and American-made clothes and to use our own money for our own goods and staples. We could spend $16 million in the United States of America on American children, and that would be a better investment for us than Japanese silk purchased on the public credit of the United States government. That that goes hand in hand with what I was talking about last night, presenting Luke chapter 17 and and Christ's warning to to the rich man and and, and, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and and then his stating that it's necessary for scandals to come, but woe to him through who they come, and woe to them who would harm one of these little ones. And it, it goes hand in hand. Once you see all, all that and, and right in the scripture and look at the history of this nation and, and how the money masters, the dishonest stewards, have destroyed and, and looted and pillaged our economy, as soon as we put them in the stewardship, that, that, and, and I'm talking about the Jewish bankers, right? As soon as we put them in the stewardship of our national household economy, right away they started looting and pillaging it. In, in favor of that, their Jewish comrades overseas. There's no How could they do anything else? That's what they do. They're usurpers and stealers. They're thieves. They're here to pillage and steal, aren't they? Absolutely. And, and we should understand that, right? And, and And don't worry about auditing the Fed because the solution that we need is is much greater than that, right? Mr. Speaker, on the 13th of January of this year, I addressed the House on the subject of the Reconstruction Finance Corporation. In the course of my remarks, I made the following statement. Here, McFadden is quoting himself, right? In 1928, the member banks of the Federal Reserve System borrowed $60,598,690,000 from the Federal Reserve banks on their 15-day promissory notes. Think of it. $60 billion payable upon demand in gold in the course of one single year. The actual payment of such obligations calls for six times as much monetary gold as there is in the entire world. Such transactions represent a grant in the course of one single year of about $7 million to every member bank of the Federal Reserve System. Is it any wonder that there is a depression in this country Is it any wonder that American labor, which ultimately pays the cost of all banking operations in this country, has at last proved unequal to the task of supplying this huge total of cash and credit for the benefit of the stock market manipulators and foreign swindlers? Mr. And that's the end of his quote. Mr. Chairman, some of my colleagues have asked for more specific information concerning this stupendous graft this frightful burden which has been placed on the wage earners and taxpayers of the United States for the benefit of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. They were surprised to learn 
that member banks of the Federal Reserve System had received the enormous sum of $60,598,690,000 from the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks on their promissory notes in the course of one single year, namely 1928. Another member of this House, Mr. Beattie, the honorable gentleman from Maine, has questioned the accuracy of my statement and has informed me that the Federal Reserve Board denies absolutely that these figures are correct. This member has said to me that the thing is unthinkable, that it cannot be, that it is beyond all reason to think that the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Bank should have so subsidized and endowed their favorite banks of the Federal Reserve System. This member, he's referring to Mr. Beatty, the congressman from Maine, is horrified at the thought of a graft so great, a bounty so detrimental to the public welfare as $60.5 billion a year and more shoveled out to favored banks of the Federal Reserve System. And oh, this so it might be interesting to point out that Beatty was a um, law professor at Yale University, and he was also a very active Freemason. So I'm assuming while he was at Yale, he might have been affiliated with Skull and Bones, but he was certainly a Freemason, just right off his wiki article, very active in Freemasonry. So, so it's, it, it's um, probable that he's not that stupid. Right. In 1930, while the speculating banks were getting out of the stock market at the expense of the general public, the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks advanced them $13,022,782,000. This shows that when the banks were gambling on the public credit of the United States government, as represented by the Federal Reserve currency, they were subsidized to any amount they required by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. That, that goes back to your um, statements about current day investments in, 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 in um, the speculative security, securities markets, right? In derivatives. The derivatives. Right. And, and yeah, you make it absolutely speculative. It's just gambling, and we have to underwrite their losses. They're gambling on our dime, basically, aren't they? Since if they lose, we foot the bill. Well, well, if they win, they, they pocket it. Well, why do we keep bailing out bankers? We keep bailing out bankers because they gambled and they lost, and we foot the bill. That they loan money to Mexicans to buy three hundred to illegal immigrants to buy three hundred thousand dollar houses. They loan money to welfare mothers in New Jersey to buy three hundred thousand dollar condos. And, and and when they don't pay their mortgage, which of course they're not going to pay their damn mortgage, that they're making twenty grand a year as as crack whores, and and they have a three hundred thousand dollar house. How could they pay their mortgage? And when they go bust, the taxpayers foot the bill. Yes, that's what's going on. That that's what's been going on for a hundred years. So why not make a loan to some illegal immigrant who just swam across the border with the clothes on his back? And I asked a CEO once at a um, – we were at a seminar in college, and this, is, um, this was Charles Ratner of Forest City Enterprises. And he, he spoke several times and made it clear that he, he was a Jew. He, he mentioned his Jewishness several times in his little speech. Then we had a Q&A session, and he was talking about the need to extend credit, extend loans – be welcoming to immigrants, and that we should see every new immigrant as an opportunity for the construction industry to build them a house and for his business to finance their owning that house, and they're pursuing their dreams. And I raised my hand. He, he called on me, and I said, well, sir, what sort of home can people that swim across the Rio Grande River with just the 
clothes on their back. You know, what, what sort of home can you expect them to have? And he said, no, 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 we, we can't afford that attitude, son. You know, we, don't, we need to be open-minded. They can afford something, and, and, and companies like mine can finance it, and it's good for the economy. Don't worry. That's what he said. Well, I'm sure, you know, he doesn't want us to worry. But he's not worried because when they default and don't pay their mortgage, the government will make us foot the bill. Now, now, one thing that, that I see is a shortcoming in McFadden's thinking is, is he's talking about the failure of the swindle as if it's come to an end. And I don't think he realized how much power they had to, to just replenish the economy when they wanted to and, and build it up again so that they could knock it down again. I, I mean, the Depression came to an end with the war, and then we had a a boom cycle in, in the 50s and 60s and a bust in the 70s. And, and since then, we've, we, we've had these little peaks and valleys with various, um, the, the Internet bubble, the, the real estate bubble, and everybody thinking the economy is just going to be swell and there's five years of prosperity and all of a sudden the rugs pull out from under it. it it's, I, I don't think McFadden understood just how great this, that this um scam was and how long they could keep it going because in, in 1932 here he's talking about this window coming to an end maybe he thought that the people of congress would hear his words and believe him it's obvious they didn't right and the swindle didn't come to an end and maybe that was just wishful thinking on his part or maybe he just didn't understand to what extent the great depression was actually engineered right i mean in 1930, while the speculating banks were getting out of the stock market at the expense of the general public, the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks advanced them $13,200,000, I'm sorry, $13,022,782,000. This shows that when the banks were gambling on the public credit of the United States government, as represented by the Federal Reserve currency, they were subsidized to any amount they required by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. When the swindle began to fall, and, and this is what I'm talking about, right? The bankers knew it in advance and withdrew from the market. They got out with whole skins and left the people of the United States to pay the piper. Well, well basically, the swindle wasn't over, and that's the, the, the second or third time that he's expressed the, the, um, the viewpoint that, that it was. On November 2nd, 1931, I addressed a letter to the Federal Reserve Board asking for the aggregate total of member bank borrowing in the years 1928, 1929, and 1930. In due course, I received a reply from the Federal Reserve Board dated November 9, 1931, the pertinent part of which read as follows. My dear Congressman, in reply to your letter of November 2nd, you are advised that the aggregate amount of 15-day promissory notes of member banks during each year of the past three calendar years has been as follows. 1928, $60,598,690,000. And remember, the stock market crash and the tightening of credit didn't come until September, right? $58,046,697,000. So that's just a few billion dollars less, right? 1930, $13,000,000. A fourth as much or a fifth as much. Thirteen billion twenty-two million seven hundred and eighty-two thousand dollars. We see at least a, a, a seventy or eighty percent reduction. So, 
Freemason who doesn't want to believe these numbers. These numbers are coming right from the Federal Reserve Board themselves, though. Yes. This will show the gentleman from Maine the accuracy of my statement. As for the denial of these facts made to him by the Federal Reserve Board, I can only say that it must have been prompted by fright, since hanging is too good for a government board which permitted such a misuse of government funds and credit. So here's McFadden talking about the possibility of hanging the Federal Reserve, and Ron Paul wants to audit them. How do you audit the mafia? Well, right. That's exactly my point before, that, that that's the difference between a real patriot and a shill, right? My friend from Kansas, Mr. McGugan, has stated that he thought the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks lent money by rediscounting. So they do, but they lend comparatively little that way. The real rediscounting that they do has been called a mere penny in the slot business. It is too slow for genuine high, fly, high flyers. They discourage it. They prefer to subsidize their favorite banks by making these $60 billion advances, and they prefer to acquire acceptances in the notorious open discount market in New York where they can use them to control the prices of stocks and bonds on the exchanges. For every dollar they advance on rediscounts in 1928, they lent $33 to their favorite banks for gambling purposes. In other words, their rediscounts in 1928 amounted to 1.8 billion to 1 billion 814 million 271 thousand dollars, while their loans to member banks amounted to 60 billion 598 million 690 thousand dollars. As for their open market operations, these are on a stupendous scale, and no tax is paid on the acceptances they handle. And their foreign principals, for whom they do a business of several billion dollars every year, pay no income tax on the profits to the United States government. This is the John Law swindle all over again. The theft of Teapot Dome was trifling compared to it. What king ever robbed his subjects to such an extent as the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks have robbed us? Is it any wonder that there have lately been 90 cases of starvation in one of the New York City hospitals? Is there any wonder that the children of this country are being dispersed and abandoned? The government and the people of the United States have been swindled by swindlers, deluxe, to whom the acquisition of American gold or a parcel of Federal Reserve notes presented no more difficulty than the drawing up of a worthless acceptance in a country not subject to the laws of the United States, by sharpers not subject to the jurisdiction of the United States courts. Sharpers, and, and by sharpers I'm supposing he means con men, sharpers with a strong banking fence on this side of the water, a fence acting as a receiver of the worthless paper coming from abroad, endorsing it, and getting the currency out of the Federal Reserve Bank's for it as quickly as possible, exchanging that currency for gold, and in turn, transmitting the gold to its foreign confederates. Such were the exploits of Ivar Kruger, Mr. Hoover's friend, and his hidden Wall Street backers. Every dollar of the billions Kruger and his gang drew out of this country on acceptances was drawn from the government and the people of the United States through the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks.
the credit of the United States government was peddled to him by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks for their own private gain. That is what the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks have been doing for many years. They have been peddling the credit of this government and the signature of this government to the swindlers and speculators of all nations. That is what happens when a country forsakes its constitution and gives its sovereignty over the public currency to private interests. Give them the flag and they will sell it. And we're not, of course, we'll never hear anything like this from Ron Paul. He'll just say we should audit these criminals and ask them to be honest about how much money is in circulation. Well, well of course, but, but McFadden understood exactly what was going on, and his background as a banker, I'm sure, helped, while most Americans are oblivious to it. And, and most Americans, sadly, still are oblivious to the fact that the central banks of every Western nation are just a Jewish scam foisted on Christendom. So if someone steals from you, you're supposed to ask nicely that they return what they've taken. How often does that actually work? Real patriots would suggest that we take back what is ours. We're not even asking that. We just want an accounting of how much they've stolen. (laughs) The nature of Kruger's organized swindle and the bankrupt condition of Kruger's combined was known here last June when Hoover sought to exempt Kruger's loan to Germany of $125 million dollars from the operation of the Hoover Moratorium. Uh, I believe this might be why, um, I, I didn't look into it, but this might be why McFadden wanted Hoover to, to be um, impeached, right? And, and the, whole gov- the, whole, the whole Republican Party came down on his head, right? The bankrupt condition of Kruger's swindle was known here last summer when $30 million was taken from the American taxpayers by certain bankers in New York for the ostensible purpose of permitting Kruger to make a loan to Columbia. Columbia never saw that money. The nature of Kruger's swindle and the bankrupt condition of Kruger was known here in January when he visited his friend, Mr. Hoover, at the White House. It was known here in March before he went to Paris and committed suicide there. Mr. Chairman, I think the people of the United States are entitled to know how many billions of dollars were placed at the disposal of Kruger and his gigantic combine by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks, and to know how much of our government currency was issued and lost in the financing of that great swindle in the years during which the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks took care of Kruger's requirements. Mr. Chairman, I believe there should be a congressional investigation of the operations of Kruger and Toll in the United States, and that Swedish match, international match, the Swedish American Investment Corporation, and all related enterprises including the subsidiary companies of Kruger and Toll, should be investigated and that the issuance of the United States currency in connection with those enterprises and the use of our national bank depositors' money for Kruger's benefit should be made known to the general public. I am referring not only to the securities which were floated and sold in this country, but also to the commercial loans to Kruger's enterprises and the mass financing of Kruger's companies by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks and the predatory institutions which the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks shield and harbor. Well, well we've had this magnified the last, well, well, all throughout the last 80 years, but this is really magnified these last 10 years, especially in, in, in the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac scandals and, and the collapse of the housing industry and 
it's just gone on and on, and, and it's kind of blatant. It's blatant criminality right in the eyes of the people, and it, they, they're powerless to do anything about it because most of the congressmen in Washington are just in their pockets, and, and the ones that aren't in their pockets are afraid to speak out because they're careerists, as you've detailed. A few days ago, the President of the United States, with a white face and shaking hands, went before the Senate on behalf of the moneyed interests and asked the Senate to levy a tax on the people so that foreigners might know that the United States would pay its debt to them. Most Americans thought it was the other way around. What do the United States owe to foreigners? When and by whom was the debt incurred? It was incurred by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks when they peddled the signature of this government to foreigners for a price. And they're doing that today in the bond markets. They've never stopped doing it, right? It is what the United States government has to pay to redeem the obligations of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. Are you going to let those thieves get off scot-free? Is there one law for the looter who drives up to the door of the United States Treasury in his limousine and another for the United States veterans who are sleeping on the floor of a dilapidated house on the outskirts of Washington. Well, well, yes, there is. The Baltimore and Ohio Railroad is here asking for a large loan from the people and the wage earners and the taxpayers of the United States. It is begging for a handout from the government. It is standing, cap in hand, at the door of the Reconstruction Finance Corporation, where all the other jackals have gathered to the feast. It is asking for money that was raised from the people by taxation and wants this money of the poor for the benefit of Kuhn Loeb and Company, the German international bankers. Somehow, I don't think the Warbirds are German, right? Is there one law that their their passport identifies them as being from Germany, but that doesn't mean they're German? Is there one law for the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad and another for the needy veterans that threw off its freight cars the other day? Is there one law for the sleek and prosperous swindlers who call themselves bankers and another law for the soldiers who defended the United States flag? Mr. Chairman, some people are horrified because the collateral behind Cougar and Toll, the benches, was removed and worthless collateral substituted for it. What is this but what is being done daily by the Federal Reserve Banks? When the Federal Reserve Act was passed, the Federal Reserve Banks were allowed to substitute other like collateral for collateral behind the Federal Reserve notes, but by an amendment obtained at the request of the corrupt and dishonest Federal Reserve Board. The act was changed so that the word like was stricken out all that, all that immense trouble was taken here in Congress so that the law would permit the Federal Reserve Bank to switch collateral. At the present time, behind the scenes in the Federal Reserve Banks, there is a night and day movement of collateral. A visiting Englishman leaving the United States a few weeks ago said that things would look better here after they cleaned up the mess at Washington. Cleaning up the mess consists in fooling the people and making them pay a second time for the bad foreign investments of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. It consists in moving that heavy load of dubious and worthless foreign paper, the bills of wig makers, brewers, distillers, narcotic drug vendors, munition makers, illegal finance drafts, 
and worthless foreign securities out of the banks and putting it on the back of American labor. That is what the Reconstruction Finance Corporation is doing now. They talk about loans to banks and railroads, but they say very little about that other business of theirs which consists in relieving the swindlers who promoted investment trusts in this country and dumped worthless foreign securities into them and then resold that mess of pottage to American investors under cover of their own corporate titles. Well, well, that's what's done today over and over again. That's what the whole bailout in 2008 was all about. The Reconstruction Finance Corporation is taking over these worthless securities from those investment trusts with United States Treasury money at the expense of the American taxpayer and the wage earner. It will take us a repeat of 2008. Well, absolutely, but I don't think we even got any securities in return in 2008. It will take us 20 years to redeem our government, 20 years of penal servitude to pay off the gambling debts of the traitorous Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks, and to earn again that vast flood of American wages and savings, bank deposits, and United States government credit, which the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks exported out of this country to their foreign principles. It, it never ends. It's the same scam over and over again. It, it changes in shades, but it's basically the same scam. The Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks lately conducted an anti-hoarding campaign here. Then they took that extra money which they had persuaded the American people to put into the banks and they sent it to Europe along with the rest. In the last several months, they have sent $1.3 billion in gold to their foreign employers, their foreign masters, and every dollar of that gold belonged to the people of the United States and was unlawfully taken from them. Is not at high time that we had an audit. Well, he wants to audit the Fed, right? Is it not high time that we had an audit of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks and an examination of all our government bonds and securities and public monies instead of allowing the corrupt and dishonest Federal Reserve Board and Federal Reserve Banks to speculate with those securities and this cash in the notorious open discount market of New York City? Mr. Chairman, within the limits of the time allowed me, I cannot enter into a particularized discussion of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. I have singled out the Federal Reserve currency for a few remarks because there has lately been some talk here of fiat money. What kind of money is being pumped into the open discount market and through it into foreign channels and stock exchanges? And at this time, we were on a gold standard, right? Until 1968, I believe, we were on a gold standard. And the money appeared to be backed by gold. In, in, in reality, it was never backed by gold, but it appeared to be backed by gold. Now we are on a, since 1968, we're on total fiat money, what we have no backing for our money, right? Since Nixon. Well, it's backed by the, the full faith and credit of the U.S. government to make good on it. So if you believe their word, then it's backed. And if you don't believe their word, then it's not backed. I've been corrected. Nixon wasn't yet president in '68. I'm sorry. Somebody in the in, in the um, in, in the Christiania chat room informed me that it was 1972. I just remember I was a little kid then. I remember when oh, it happened. Talking about the Nixon shock when he pulled us off the gold standard. Yes. That was in 1971. They ended the Bretton Woods system. Nixon, his official stated reason, he said it would help stabilize the dollar 
an erode influence of international bankers and speculators and gold merchants who are harming our currency. Um, uh, yeah, you know, that, that helps stabilize the dollar. That's the shield that's always pulled over to people, right? I, I mean, that what we've been told for 100 years was that we were going to have a stable dollar. We had a stable the, the first Congress of the United States defined exactly what a dollar should be in gold and silver. That, that's a stable dollar, right? That's the only stable dollar we've ever had. After the several raids on the Treasury, I'm sorry, I, I missed part of it. I'm going to reread the, the beginning of the prior paragraph. Mr. Chairman, within the limits of time allowed me, I cannot enter into a particularized discussion of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. I have singled out the Federal Reserve currency for a few remarks because there has lately been some talk here of fiat money. What kind of money is being pumped into the open discount market and through it into foreign channels and stock exchanges? Mr. Mills of the Treasury has spoken here of his horror of, print, of the printing presses and his horror of dishonest money. He has no horror of dishonest money. If he had, he would be no party to the present gambling of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks in the nefarious open discount market of New York, a market in which the sellers are represented by 10 great discount dealer corporations owned and organized by the very banks which own and control the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. Fiat money indeed. After the several raids on the Treasury, Mr. Mills borrows the speech of those who protested against those raids and speaks now with the pretended horror of a raid on the Treasury. Where was Mr. Mills last October when the United States Treasury needed $598 million of the taxpayers' money, which was supposed to be in the safekeeping of Andrew W. Mellon, in the designated depositories of Treasury funds, and which was not in those depositories when the Treasury needed it. And, and, and Andrew Mellon ended up on a U.S. postage stamp, right? Mr. Mills, and, and more than that, I'm just making a, a, a cynical remark. Mr. Mills was the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury then, and he was at the Washington he was at Washington throughout October, with the exception of a very significant week he spent at White Sulphur Springs closeted with international bankers while the Italian minister, Signor Grandi, was being entertained and bargained with at Washington. What Mr. Mills is fighting for is the preservation, whole and entire, of the banker's monopoly of all the currency of the United States government. What Mr. Patman proposes is that the government shall exercise its sovereignty to the extent of issuing some currency for itself. This conflict of opinion between Mr. Mills as the spokesman of the bankers and Mr. Patman, was, was he assassinated, as the spokesman of the people, brings the currency situation here into the open. And, and I ask that sarcastically because that's what Jack Kennedy um, had, had attempted to do, right, was issue some actual government money. Mr. Patman and the veterans are c confronted by a stone wall, the wall that fences in the bankers with their special privileges. Thus, the issue is joined between the host of democracy, of which the veterans are a part, and the men of the King's Bank, the would-be aristocrats, 
who deflated American agriculture and robbed this country for the benefit of their foreign principles. I, I guess by king, he really means Rothschild, right? Mr. Chairman, last December, I introduced a resolution here asking for an examination and an audit of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks and all related matters. If the House sees fit to make such an investigation, the people of the United States will obtain information of great value. This is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Consequently, nothing should be concealed from the people. The man who deceives the people is a traitor to the, to the United States. The man who knows or suspects that a crime has been committed and who conceals or covers up that crime is an accessory to it. Mr. Speaker, it is a monstrous thing for this great nation of people to have its destinies presided over by a traitorous government board acting in secret concert with international usurers. Every effort has been made by the Federal Reserve Board to conceal its power, but the truth is the Federal Reserve Board has usurped the government of the United States. And that condition, of course, still exists today. It's, well, it makes sense. They just handed it over, didn't they? The government wasn't usurped. They just rolled over and gave up. Absolutely. It controls everything here, and it controls all our foreign relations. It makes and breaks governments at will. No man and no body of men is more entrenched in power than the arrogant credit monopoly which operates the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. These evildoers, and I like his attitude a few paragraphs previous before where he just wanted to round them up and hang them, right? These evildoers have robbed this country of more than enough money to pay the national debt. What the national government has permitted the Federal Reserve Board to steal from the people should now be restored to the people. The people have a valid claim against the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. If that claim is enforced, Americans will not need to stand in the bread lines or to suffer and die of starvation in the streets. Homes will be saved, families will be kept together, and American children will not be dispersed and abandoned. The Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks owe the United States government an immense sum of money. We ought to find out the exact amount of the people's claim. We should know that the amount of the indebtedness of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks to the people, and we should investigate this treacherous and disloyal conduct of the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. I don't think we have to audit anything. I think we just make a number up and tell them they owe us that for, for their use of our currency for all these. I mean, it's ridiculous to, to think that we could just um, have an honest accounting with, with, with the Antichrist, right? It doesn't work. What with Satan, it doesn't work. Here is the Federal Reserve note. Even at gunpoint, it wouldn't work. Here's a Federal Reserve note. Immense numbers of these notes are now held abroad. I am told that they amount to upwards of a billion dollars. They constitute a claim against our government, and likewise, a claim against the money our people have deposited in the member banks of the Federal Reserve System. Our people's money to the extent of $1.3 billion, which has within the last few months been shipped abroad to redeem Federal Reserve notes and to pay other gambling debts of the traitorious. Federal Reserve Board, and the Federal Reserve Banks. The greater part of our monetary stock has been shipped to foreigners. Why should we promise to pay the debts of foreigners to foreigners? Why should our government be put into the position of supplying money to foreigners? 
Why should the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks be permitted to finance our competitors in all parts of the world? Well, well we've been doing that, and, and, and we're still doing that. What we have financed... We're expected to subsidize our own destruction. The, the American people, through, through the derivatives markets, through, through the emerging market funds, the money market funds, the, the developing market funds, we have financed the move of all of our factories to the Pacific Rim and to China. The Jews have pulled a, 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 an incredible, masterful um, maneuver by conning the American people out of their own jobs while having the American people finance the, the movement of those jobs overseas, and, and we certainly did that. Why should our government be put into the position of supplying money to foreigners? Why should the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks be permitted to finance our competitors in all parts of the world? Do you know why the tariff was raised? It was raised to shut out the flood of Federal Reserve goods pouring in here from every quarter of the globe. Cheap goods produced by cheaply paid foreign labor, this is 1932, on unlimited supplies of money and credit sent out of this country by the dishonest and unscrupulous Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. Go out in Washington to buy an electric light bulb, and you will probably be offered one that was made in Japan on American money. Go to buy a pair of fabric gloves and inconspicuous written on the inside of the gloves that will be offered to you will be found the words made in Germany and that means made on the public credit of the United States government paid to German firms in American gold taken from the confiscated bank deposits of the American people the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks are spending 100 million dollars a week buying government securities in the open market and are making a great bid for foreign business they're trying to make rates so attractive that the human hair merchants and distillers and other business entities in foreign lands will come here and hire more of the public credit of the United States government and pay the Federal Reserve outfit for getting it for them. Mr. Chairman, when the Federal Reserve Act was passed, the people of the United States did not perceive that a world system was being set up here, which would make the savings of an American school teacher available to a narcotic drug vendor in Macau. L little did he see the, 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 the emerging IRAs and, and all the money market funds and all, the, all of the um, financial contrivances that the bankers had concoct concocted in, in the 70s and 80s to accelerate that process. They did not perceive that the United States would be lowered to the position of a coolie country which has nothing but raw materials and heavy goods for export, that Russia was destined to supply the manpower, that this country was to supply the financial power to an international superstate, a superstate controlled by international bankers and international industrialists acting together to enslave the world for their own pleasure. And I believe right there, Lewis McFadden admitted that the Soviet Union was controlled by international bankers and international industrialists. The people, well, you know, Bill, about the Soviet Union and this Jewish telegraphic agency on June 28, 1934, 
They quoted McFadden as saying that the Soviet government was comprised of 565 persons, of which 469 were Jews. Well, well, right. And he told, I think next week we'll, we'll continue this series on Lewis McFadden and probably conclude it by presenting a lot of those remarks and by discussing his death or his murder, however you want to look at that. All right. For, for now, I have about three more paragraphs of this paper to read, right? The people of the United States are being greatly wronged. If they are not, then I do not know what wronging the people means. They have been driven from their employments. They have been dispossessed of their homes. They have been evicted from their rented quarters. They have lost their children. They have been left to suffer and to die for lack of shelter, food, clothing, and medicine. The wealth of the United States and the working capital of the United States has been taken away from them and has either been locked in the vaults of certain banks and the great corporations or exported to foreign countries for the benefit of the foreign customers of those banks and corporations. So far as the people of the United States are concerned, the cupboard is bare. It is true that the warehouses and coal yards and grain elevators are full, but the warehouses and coal yards and grain elevators are padlocked and the great banks and corporations hold the keys. The sack of the United States by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks is the greatest crime in history. Uh, I say that today that's still true, but it's a thousand times greater than it was in 1932, or 10,000 times greater. Mr. Chairman, a serious situation confronts the House of Representatives today. We are trustees of the people and the rights of the people are being taken away from them. Through the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks, the people are losing the rights guaranteed to them by the Constitution. The property, their property has been taken from them without due process of law. Mr. Chairman, common decency requires us to examine the public accounts of the government and see what crimes against the public welfare have and are being committed. What is needed here is a return to the Constitution of the United States, so we see how old and, and now how stale those words are. We need to have a complete divorce of bank and state. The old struggle that was fought out here in Jackson's day, Andrew Jackson, must be fought over again. The independent United States Treasury should be reestablished and the government should keep its own money under lock and key in the building the people provided for that purpose. Asset currency, the device of the swindler, should be done away with. The government should buy gold and issue United States currency on it. The business of the independent bankers should be restored to them. The state banking system should be freed from coercion. The Federal Reserve District should be abolished, and the state boundaries should be respected. Bank reserves should be kept within the borders of the states whose people own them. And this reserve money of the people should be protected so that the international bankers and acceptance bankers and discount dealers cannot draw it away from them. The exchanges should be closed while we are putting our financial affairs in order. The Federal Reserve Act should be repealed and the Federal Reserve Banks, having violated their charter, should be liquidated immediately. Faithless government officers who have violated their oaths of office should be impeached and brought to trial. Unless this is done by us, I predict that the American people, outraged, robbed, pillaged, insulted, and betrayed as they are in their own land, will rise in their wrath and send a president here who will sweep the money changers out of the temple. And, and sadly, 
they ushered in Franklin Roosevelt, and and the the, the following November, months after this speech was given, Franklin Roosevelt was elected president, and the money changers took over the temple. Well, they already had it, but that they they Absolutely. certainly assured control of it. So Roosevelt just took everything McFadden was complaining about, consolidated it, entrenched it, made sure it would never go away, and then he compounded it with gold confiscation through an executive order, no less. Well, well, absolutely. And I believe next week we'll discuss Lewis McFadden's quotes about the Jews and and some of the other things he said about the international bankers, and and we'll discuss the, the end of his career and his murder and his death. Or... His death, which was probably a murder. Well, he died of food poisoning. Mean, so he died of poisoning at a government banquet, and there had been two previous attempts in his life. He'd survived one poisoning, and he'd survived a, a, an assassination attempt by a gunman who shot at him repeatedly, which I, I find that very odd, and we can get into that more next week. Absolutely. That concludes uh, our um, presentation of this speech before Congress by Congressman Lewis McFadden, and we'll be back next week to conclude our presentation on this American patriot. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh. I'll Thank be you. Praise Yahweh. Luke chapter 18. Good night.